Hello, welcome to Two Sick and Naked Healing Out Loud, where we vulnerably discuss the ups and downs of healing from illness. Each episode, I interview a brave guest whose extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on as well as highly informed about something new. Hey guys, I have a special episode for you this week. I'm so thankful to my guest, Riva Lombardi, who called in from Toronto, Canada to talk to me about her journey with infertility. Today, she is an eight-week-old baby who makes many appearances through this episode, and it's taken five years of IVF, of IUIs, of all the natural treatments you can think of for her to get here. So I think this is a really, really important topic, and I hope it helps a lot, a lot of women. The weekly challenge this week is to practice gratitude, my favorite topic. So we discuss all sorts of ways you can gratitude in this episode. Check it out. Share this with your friends. A big shout out to Kathleen Listen, who's just been a total supporter of this podcast and duly noted Kathleen. Thank you for all of your support. Uh, thank you to everyone for posting, sharing, commenting, reviewing. Please um, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. Please share about it on your Instagram. Please follow me at twosickandnaked.com for more wellness gems. Please follow me on Instagram at Jackie for some of those weekly challenge updates and other fun. Uh, and we will see you over there at the episode. Hi guys, your host Jackie Shea here. Today I'm with Riva Lombardi, who's calling in from Toronto, Canada. She's a voiceover actress, and today we're discussing infertility. Hi Riva. Hey Jackie, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here, and congratulations on the birth of your baby girl. Thank you so much. And your breastfeed, or you've got her, you've got her right now. So we're gonna hear, we're gonna hear from Birdie as well, which I'm pretty excited about. Yep. We're just just in the middle of a feed, so she'll be in the back uh, gurgling and uh, and potentially burping. <laughs> and hanging out. How old is she now? She is uh, just about eight weeks. Wow. Are you exhausted? Um, you know, it's not too bad. Uh, luckily, I have my husband who's been helping out a lot, so I, I'm able to get a little bit of rest, which is nice. Oh, that's awesome. Um. Oh. I'm really glad to hear that. I don't know how people do it without um, a partner. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a girlfriend, a single girl who had twins, and (laughs) I feel so much sympathy for her right now, just now that I have one and a partner, and I can't imagine doing doing that. Oh, my God, twins. Um, So tell me a little bit about your backstory. This has been a lot – this is a very – exciting thing that you're breastfeeding right now that you have your baby this has been a long journey for you and your husband yeah yeah so we we've been together since 2005 and then we got married in 2010 and uh, we decided around 2012 to start trying for a baby and at first it was just you know casual like most couples I feel like we're just like let's just stop not trying to have a baby and see what happens. And, uh, and then I got pregnant pretty much right away, uh, but then immediately had a miscarriage. And, you know, we read a little bit about it, heard it was pretty common and, and just figured to keep trying. So we ended up going about another mm, 
almost a year of just, you know, just relaxing and trying and not trying, trying. Uh, and then at that point, uh, a year later, realized, okay, we, we need to seek some help. And then that started our uh, five-year journey towards, um, you know, with fertility treatments to, to try to get pregnant. Wow. <clears throat> and did you have multiple miscarriages in that time? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we did a lot. We, you know, started with one fertility clinic. Um, we did one IVF cycle. We did a fresh transfer, uh, and that, um, ended in a miscarriage and they call it a chemical pregnancy when it is prior to six weeks. So that, uh, that was the first one. And then we, at that point, you know, there was nothing diagnosed. We have unexplained uh, infertility, which means there's nothing on my side and there's nothing on his side. Um, so there's nothing really that they can specifically try to fix, which is incredibly frustrating because if you can pinpoint what the issue is, then you can fix it and move on. But with us, it felt like they were just sort of throwing darts at the wall saying, well, let's try this. Let's try another cycle. Let's try another cycle. And, you know, it's incredibly expensive. So I feel um, it, it's a difficult choice to, you know, keep going forward and doing the same thing, expecting a different result when you don't really, you know, know what the issue is. And I feel like a lot of couples have that unexplained infertility. Um, Do you actually know? Relatively. Is it common? Is it relatively common? Yeah, yes, absolutely, absolutely, where, you know, men will get tested, and it's like, no, they've, they've got a great count, there's nothing wrong, women will be tested, and it's like, well, everything looks good, we don't, you know, we don't see anything wrong, and and then not until they start doing cycle after cycle, and they have miscarriages, and they start to go to more specialists, and they're able to, you know, sort of pinpoint, well, maybe it could be this, or maybe it could be that, um, but it's almost trial and error trying to figure out the perfect recipe of, of, you know, trying to solve the problem. Right. And can I ask um, how old you were when you started trying? Yeah, I was 33. Right. There's, I mean, going into the fertility clinics, you see people from all, you know, different angles. And I think the, you see how it affects people of all different cultures, of all different age groups of, you know, um, I mean, I have a girlfriend who is 42 and conceived naturally, you know, the right. second try. Right. And and then you have people in my fertility, infertility groups who are in their early 20s, 23, 24, suffering, you know, in for infertility, unexplained infertility. So it kind of it, it runs the gamut. I mean, as you get older, yeah, once you hit 35, your eggs... Uh, I think your eggs drop in half, right? Because you're born with a certain amount of eggs. And then with each period, you, you shed eggs, you lose eggs. And so I think it's by 35 where you lose half your eggs, half your eggs are gone. Uh, and so it's it just starts to become more difficult because you don't have as many great fertile eggs. And a lot of the clinics, um, their cutoff is 42, so they won't work with anybody uh, who's over 42 because at that point you need, unless you're having a donor egg or a surrogate or something. Um, oh, wow. It, the chances just really go down. I did not know that. Wow. But there's so many options. I mean, I, you know, there are people who are in their early 40s. There are so many options for donor eggs. There, There's, you know, um, so many women who donate their eggs who are young and healthy and 
um, want to help a family. And so you can use a donor egg and there's lots of people who do it, who don't, you don't even, you know, who don't even tell anybody, don't even tell their families. They just, you know, pick a donor who looks similar to them and get to get a donor egg and move on with their lives. So just because you're older, I just want to say there's not, you know, it's not the end of the road. There's so many options, but, um, but yeah, you know, I took for granted so many years, how much, how much did I spend on, on trying not to get pregnant, you know, whether it be the birth control pill or condoms or, you know, stressing out about it. And, and yeah, to, you know, it didn't, didn't matter in the end anyway. Right. No, I know a lot of people that struggle with infertility say the same thing. Like you spend so much time trying not to get pregnant and money. Yeah. And then, and and then, you know, you can't. So what, what was the, what were the feelings like around the beginning of this journey? I mean, you expected, you didn't expect this, obviously. You're super healthy. You're a healthy person. Yeah. And I I think that's what really hit us the hardest, that we're like, there's nothing wrong with us. Why can't we get pregnant? And, And so when we finally decided to do a round of IVF, we thought there's no way it's not going to work because there's nothing wrong with either of us. So we'll just suck it up. We'll do a round of IVF and we'll get this party going. And so when the first round failed, we were just dumbfounded. We had, you know, we really, there was no, I I remember going into the doctor's office and just standing over there with my arms folded, demanding answers, demanding to speak to, you know, the embryologist and all the lab technicians and this and that, because, like I wanted to understand what went wrong, who screwed up, you know, because that was my my feeling. I was so angry, um, and in the end, the doctor was just like, "Well, no, you know, let's just try again." And I thought, "You're crazy! I'm going to try again and go through all of this when you don't have any answers for me." And so, at that point, I decided to go to another clinic just because I I didn't really feel connected to them, and I thought I wanted somebody who was, you know like at least wanting to try something new. So I went to a second clinic at that point. Um, But yeah, I mean, I was angry. I think at first just angry and blown away that this was happening to us. I couldn't grasp it. And, you know, my husband, even now, so we, you know, we just had this baby and uh, he's like, Oh, he's like, well, we should think about birth control. Uh, and I'm like, are you, are you crazy? So he's still in denial that we have an issue. You know, even after all these years, right. he's still at this point, right. doesn't accept the the answer, the fact that, yeah, we can't get pregnant naturally. I, and I mean, I, of course it changes. And I hear lots of stories about people having, you know, after years of infertility, having a baby and then getting you know then getting pregnant immediately after naturally so I know it happens but I I think the fact that he just still hasn't accepted that there's any issues is is telling right and I was going to ask what how did this affect your relationship and and it had to be so hard on you guys yeah you know I think gosh with a lot of couples so we we went to a infertility support group at one point we we tried a lot of different things just to you know 
I feel like it's important. You have to find your outlet. And the support group wasn't really for us, but I'm glad we went because it really gave us perspective um, on how other people were dealing with it. But in the end, this all made our relationship stronger because we, going through all of the craziness of the injections and the treatments and, um, you know, the miscarriages and the procedures really, you know, we were this tight little tight unit on this journey together and it made us so strong. It it brought us together even in a way that I could not have anticipated. Right. Were there, were there very big bumps in the road though on that, on, on, on that journey? (laughs) I would imagine. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we would get the stress involved, right? And so, you know, I think both of us um, had our moments where we were done. Um, But I think the thing um, that was, that we were able to, to do is that let allow each other to have our moments. So when he was having a moment, I was there to support him. And when I was having my moment, you know, he was there to support me. So I think those bumps, just realizing that we each have to go through things in our own time um, and allowing the other to have their freak out and to say things maybe they don't mean and just to go through that themselves um, as long, you know, I think it was helpful that we both didn't do it at the same time ever. So that really, uh, I think that's, uh, that's what, what, was good for us. Right. And, and all that time, what was, what was the driving force? I mean, did you consider quitting? Did you consider just, just forget it? This is too hard. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, you know, we, we were always the couple who, you know, never really wanted kids. Like we never talked about kids. I never, I mean, growing up, I never anticipated, I never wanted kids. I never wanted to get married. I hated the idea of the institution of having to, you know, go to university and get a diploma and then get married and get a marriage certificate and then Mm. buy a house and get a mortgage and then have a baby and have a fence. And (laughs) I hated that idea, uh, you know, and I was so rebellious of that. I spent my, you know, five from 18 to 22, I spent traveling around the world and, you know, not having an address and just living, you know, from place to place. And, and so I didn't anticipate, um, being in a traditional life in any way. And then, so when we got married, um, you know, we kind of had said, we're just going to see how things go. Neither of us really talked about having kids. And then when there came to a point where we thought, well, let's just see, then when we couldn't, when it didn't happen easily, it made us want it more. And it's so funny how that happens where it's like, you don't really want something, but then if you don't get it easily, you're like, well, why, why can't I have it? Well, it needs to be my choice. Right. You know, I don't know whether I want it or not, but I need to make that choice. I can't, you know, somebody else can't make that choice for me. Right. And I think that, that really, that really was the kind of, it's, it's that, grabbed us and we're like we need to figure this out now well well, now we want it well now we really want it and so we started uh you know we started kind of going hard trying to trying to make this happen um and then you know throughout the journey definitely feeling like we need to okay one more I have one more in me that's it 
Uh, but then, you know, we do one more and thought, okay, well, okay, we learned this and we learned that. Let's try. We ended up going to a third clinic. So we went, we did three clinics all, uh, all together. And the second clinic was that we, you know, moved to. She was really whip smart, had graduated from Columbia, was doing a whole bunch of research um, on frozen embryo transfers. And she had some new suggestions for us. So we did, we did a round with her. Um, and it didn't. It didn't work out. We didn't end up getting any embryos that we that were healthy. Oh wow! And so, uh, yeah. And so at that point, we both uh, we said we there was this program where we could get apply for funding for another cycle, and because of our you know because we had tried and uh, of every you know had been through rounds before, we qualified for funding. So we thought. Okay, one last round. We qualify for the funding. Let's do this. And so that's um, that's the round. And that we went in with, to the doctor, and she said to us, you know, she looked at our file and saw our previous miscarriages and previous failed transfers, and and she said, you know, you really only have a ten percent chance uh, of of you know conceiving. And I really think that it your you know your time would be better spent doing something else like getting a surrogate or getting, you know, donors or, you know, something else, another option adopting. And we, you know, decided to go with the 10% chance. And in the end we looked at each other and we thought, you know, cause it was hard to hear that from her. Uh, and, but we looked at each other and we thought, you know, we want to, we want to give it one last shot. We want to be able to close the chapter. And we really thought we were closing the chapter. We thought, well, we only have 10% chance. It's not going to happen for us. Let's just do it and then say, okay, look, we did everything we could. We can go on with our lives knowing that we tried, and now we can truly, you know, move on. Um, and that's where we were a year ago, and and this is where we are now. Right, right. Was it was it kind of heartbreaking and shattering to hear her say that, that there was a 10% chance? Oh, absolutely. It was devastating. It, we walked out of her office just, you know, just struck with grief and thinking like this is okay you know is it even worth it should we just you know just sit here in our sadness for the rest of our lives um but we thought if we're gonna go down let's go down you know with with a little bit of a fight and and give it one last shot and so i think that just a little bit of hope (laughs) right here she's I know. She's trying. Little birdie. She's still learning how to eat because she was born six weeks premature, so she she doesn't have all of the sucking and swallowing muscles yet. Right. Yeah, I know. I I noticed that. How how big was she when she was born? Uh, just over three and a half pounds. Oh my god, that had to be scary too. Yeah, but you know, we once we got pregnant, we we didn't expect it to be easy. We thought it took us a lot to get here, so we imagined it was going to be it wasn't going to be you know normal sort of pregnancy. So we weren't surprised that she was early. I was prepared for it. I was expecting to right. be you know on bed rest or something. Right. And so leading for these five years that you're you went to these three clinics and you did the IVF. Did you also do IUI? I did. Yep. Yep. I did IUI. That's what we, we had started with IUI. 
um, you know, IUI is a fraction of the cost of, of IVF. And, uh, and I think, you know, lots of people will, will do multiple IUIs that end up adding up to a round of IVF. So we just did one. And then we thought, if we're going to, you know, since there's nothing wrong with us, let's just do one round of IVF and just get pregnant and have a baby. And, oh, instead of keep, you know, trying IUIs because they're right. not... They're not as, um, like, well, in our mind, they weren't as definite. You know, right. uh, IVF, they're putting a sperm in an egg and it's making an embryo. Right. Whereas IUI, they're leaving so much up, left up to chance. So we, we only did one and we didn't have any, uh, any results from that. Yeah, I've heard that IUIs are actually, like, just not worth it. Not even worth it to try. Yeah, you know, I, I guess it depends. Some people I know, uh, I know one one couple who did IUI, and, and they had good luck with it. They had to do it three times. They had to do it three times, uh, but in the end, you know, that's what worked for them. So it all depends. If you can find a clinic where it's a reasonable cost, uh, the, the clinic I went to was not. It wasn't. It wasn't as reasonable. Um, to do IUIs, like to do multiple IUIs, but some clinics have packages where you can do three IUIs and it's, you know, right. going to break the bank. Um, right. But yeah, it all depends on what kind of what you're into because IVF is a whole other ball of worms. You've got all these hormones that you're injecting and, you know, some people just don't want to go that route, you know, don't want to take that chance. Right. And You've only, not that... IVF has been around since, uh, I guess, the late 70s, but they're still not, you know, it's still relatively new, and they don't know the long-term effects of it just yet. So that's another thing you have to consider. It can be really scary thing to get into, and you don't really know for sure if there's any issues that are linked to it. Right. Right, of course. Um, and it, and it's very expensive. I feel like it's it's quite a hard quite a hard decision to make um and and you did it three times so during during those five years you did everything else right like you did the acupuncture you did the supplements you did the herbal treat like you did everything else (laughs) yeah yeah we we you know it was really within after that um first IVF didn't work and we thought you know we were so dumbfounded at that point we did everything else naturally because we weren't going to just do another round of IVF doing the same thing uh, and spend that money and, you know, put all, do all, all of the injections and everything. So that's when we really went hard and did some, uh, you know, the acupuncture treatments we did, we saw an immunologist, we saw a urologist, we saw tons of different specialists, um, you know, and I was making all of my herbal teas and doing, you know, the just fertility diets and all of that natural stuff to see, well, let's see if we can figure this out ourselves. Um, and we spent about a year doing all that uh, and really going in. And gosh, I feel like we ended up spending almost the same amount on all of that stuff than on another round of IVF because that stuff gets super expensive when you, you know, get into that too. There's, there's just no way to not, uh, you know, to not spend money when you're trying to figure out any illness. No. You're trying to solve problems yourself, right? I mean, I did all the natural stuff and it was 
it is. I mean, I still, you know, I still probably spend $250 a month on supplements. You know, it's wow. it's yeah. really yeah. expensive. And that doesn't include like my acupuncture or massage or infrared sauna. Like there's a lot. It gets really, yeah. really, really expensive. Do you think that any of that natural stuff ended up being helpful or do you not? <laughs> um, you know, in the end, it, it wasn't helpful because it didn't bring us a baby. However, um, it was helpful. I'm glad that we did it because I wanted to be able to, I think I would have regretted if I didn't try those things because I would have, you know, just felt like I I didn't really try everything and um, I just kind of skipped to to IVF. So I'm glad that I did those things for those reasons. Um, I also learned so much about myself physically uh, about my genetic makeup. We did, you know, DNA tests and all these sorts of things. So uh, all of those things were helpful moving forward. I was able to add them to my file and bring them to the next doctor. And so who knows what piece of information changed the outcome? Because with every IVF round, I did a different different uh, treatment like uh, of medications and who knows what in my file made the doctor, you know, choose the, the specific, you know, treatments that they suggested for me. Um, in the end, one of the things in the last cycle that we did um, that brought us birdie, the, the thing that we, the biggest change was we did these intralipid treatments and they normally give intralipid treatments to people who have immune, autoimmune issues. And I had seen an immunologist at Cedar sinai and I didn't test positive for any autoimmune uh, issues. However, the, the IVF specialist that I saw uh, suggested, you know, just with my looking at my file and looking at my previous miscarriages and everything, she asked me if I wanted to try it. It's not something that was covered. It's something, it's, it's an infusion that you get every two weeks. You start it prior to the IVF cycle. And if you get pregnant, you continue doing it for the first three months of pregnancy. Uh, And I thought, sure, you know, why not try? I want to try something, anything that's different from what we've already tried. So um, I went ahead and did it. And in the end, I I think that that may have made a big difference because once I stopped it, so I ended up, you know, getting pregnant and I continued with the intralepid infusions. And at three months, you graduate from your fertility clinic and you move on to an OBGYN. And when I did that, I stopped the intralepid infusions. And the same week, Uh, I stopped them. I developed dermographism, which is an autoimmune uh, disease. Um, And it's, I'd never been, you know, nothing had ever come up on any of my tests. But as soon as I stopped the intralipid infusions, I developed dermographism and it ended up lasting for two months and then went away on its own. So I, you know, I feel that, uh, there was something, there is something there that maybe isn't tested for just yet. Maybe it's, you know, as research uh, and our tests, the tests get more sensitive. Maybe it's something that would come up in, you know, 15 years, uh, you know, they would be able to test for. Maybe it's something that they couldn't test for that, that 
uh, was an issue, but basically what dermographism is, and there's lots of different, I think, versions of it, um, because some people just get it, uh, and it you know, doesn't affect them, but in pregnancy, what it does is it thinks that your body is under attack, so it thinks that there is a parasite, that your body has a parasite, and so all of the histamines that are in your system, it, uh, the histamines come to the surface of your skin trying to push out uh, whatever the parasite is, trying to get it out of your system. So, you know, I always say, like, I, I have had a really, I've been really, I'm a super healthy person. I never get colds. Like, I don't really get the flu. Everyone will get sick around me, and I don't get sick. Everyone will get food poisoning at a dinner, and I don't get it. Like, I'm, it's, you know, kind of a joke amongst my friends. I'm sort of healthy as an ox. Um, and so, you know, the, the question that I sort of pose is, you know, is, is it possible that I, my system is so healthy that every time, you know, I did get pregnant or there was an embryo that was trying to plant, my body just got rid of it. They were like, nope, this isn't supposed to be here. This is a parasite. This isn't, you know, normal. Um, and that's why it, it pushed out of my system. But because of the interlipid infusions, did they, did that, because interlipid infusions um, are these, they're used a lot for chemotherapy patients. And I, they would uh, calm your immune system down, is what they would do if they're exactly. for autoimmune patients. Yeah. yeah so it, it lowers your immune system. And yeah, right. it, and so I wonder if, you know, the interlipid infusions sort of did that. And then by the time I was three months pregnant, the embryo was, the baby was so big that my body couldn't fight it anymore. So it tried for two months, month, you know, while I had this dermographism and then it gave up. My body sort of gave up my, and the dermographism just went away Wow! and it never came back. And I, and during those two months, I went to see a few specialists, autoimmune uh, specialists, specialists in dermographism. And they had no idea. They had not seen this happen before. And they didn't have any solutions and just, you know, they were sort of surprised and sent me to a few other specialists to see if anybody had any answers or anything and um, nobody did. And then it just randomly one day went away. Wow. So do you, um, wow, that's so crazy. Were you terrified through your pregnancy? Did you have a lot of anxiety? I mean, you knew that it wasn't going to be easy. You said that, but when, when the dermographism started popping up or any little issue, I could imagine that I would be just on edge. (laughs) Yeah. Well, oh gosh, it's so when you, when you do IVF and as soon as you do your transfer, you get monitored very closely. So you go in for blood tests every two days. And they want to make sure that, you know, your pregnancy hormones are doubling and then you go in for ultrasounds. And so I was being monitored every two days. I was getting ultrasounds. I was getting blood tests. And every two days I would go into the facility and I would look at the ultrasound technician and I would, you know, say, is it still there? Because I, you know, I was just prepared. Mm -hmm. Every time I went in, I was prepared for it not to be there. Um, and that went on for the first three months, you know, until I graduated from the fertility clinic, uh, I, and they, the clinics, you know, they, they do that monitoring, um, because I had asked the, the, the doctor, because at some point she had said, well, you, you can skip, 
you can come in, you know, just in a week if you want. And I was like, okay, yeah. And she's like, or you can continue coming in every couple of days. And, and I said, well, well, what do you, you know, do you need me to come in every couple of days? And she said, well, we do it for your mental, uh, like for your mental health, because if you don't come in and see the baby and know everything's okay, then you could get really stressed and that could, you know, that could be an issue as well. And so that it's not only for, you know, them to check the baby, but it's also to keep the women calm who are going through this stressful period. So we did that for three months and that was incredibly stressful. But at the same time, I had no expectations because I only had a 10% chance. So I didn't think it was going to happen anyway. And so I kind of resigned myself for it not to go well. Right. Uh, and, you know, we have plans. Hey, if it doesn't go well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a trip. We're going to, you know, take some time for ourselves. And so we were in that headspace. And then when we graduated to the OBGYN, and then all of a sudden you only, your appointments are like once a month, I was, you know, like, what am I supposed to do with myself? How do you, you know, how do I, how do I handle this? And so we ended up buying a fetal Doppler. Um, that we could listen to the baby at home. And that was the only thing that calmed us. So anytime we were feeling stressed, we would just use the fetal Doppler, check the heartbeat, like, hey, the baby's still good, the baby's still there, everything's all right. Uh, so, yeah, it was incredibly stressful the whole the whole time. And then once developing the dermographism, and, uh, you know, it was a joke to me at that point because there was, you know, we've been through so much. And I thought, of course we're going to, you know, I'm going to have this. And then I ended up, getting pee prom where the baby poked a hole in the amniotic sac. Oh, no. And fluid started leaking. I was like, of course we're going to have, you know, this and that. So we, I just, after you go through IVF for five years, you just kind of, you expect anything. You, you just, you know that anything can happen. Right. You're ready for it. Oh my God. So I want to talk about one of the ways you made it through um, this, which is gratitude. We're going to take a quick break for the weekly challenge. Welcome to our weekly challenge segment where we arm you with new tools each week to kick some self-care butt. As you explore all of these new options presented weekly, my hope is that you will come to collect a number of quick ways to take care of yourself inside and out. You will essentially have your very own and very handy self-care toolkit. Some of the challenges may not work for you, and some will seem perfectly tailored to you. We are building up your defenses, inspiring your mind, body, and spirit toward total wellness. Keep in mind that the goal is always progress, not perfection. The only rule is that you are never allowed to beat yourself up. Keep me posted on your progress. Stay accountable. It helps. Okay, let's hit this week's challenge. Okay, so... Talk to us about how gratitude helped you and what what the challenge is this week. So I think it's really easy to feel bad about yourself. And I think it's really easy for us to go into a dark place and feel sorry for ourselves and really um, feeling feel hopeless. And so one of the things we did during uh, this whole process was practice gratitude and even when we were feeling so dark and so alone and so sad and and helpless and hopeless, we found practicing gratitude and, you know, once a day, even when we hated everything and hated the world and hated ourselves, just saying one thing that we were grateful for really helped. And so my uh, 
I my recommendation is to you know we did it over breakfast. So every morning over breakfast, I would just sit there and eat breakfast, and I'd have to I'd force myself to think of one thing that I was grateful for. And it was a real challenge because you know on those dark days, it's it's hard to find anything. But uh, we did it, and and I I really highly recommend it because it really really helped. It's perspective, and it just puts things in perspective. And and I think that perspective is one of the most helpful things when you're going through anything that's um, that's so hard like this. Yeah, totally. Uh, did you ever write lists or anything, or it was mostly with your husband? I like that you did it with your husband because I think having more practices during a period like this that bring you guys together in something hopeful is is such a great idea. Um, but did you ever do yeah, it on your well, own? I love the, no, you know, I love the idea of, of accountability. And I find, like, I do stuff on my own, but stuff, when I do stuff on my own, I... Oh, Bernie wants to participate. Um, <laughs> when I do stuff on my own, I don't, you know, sometimes I don't follow through or I'll do it one day and I won't do it the next day. So having an accountability person, which I use in my life in so many other aspects, um, but in this one, I think is super helpful. So even, I mean, I did it with my husband, but you can do it with a friend or anything and just say, you know, okay, we're going to each morning, we're going to say one thing that we're grateful for. And, and so, yeah, it was good to say it out loud too. And because you're, you're calling it out, you're releasing it to the world and it's different than writing it down too, because when you write something down, it's just for you. But when you say it out loud, another person hears, uh, and you're putting it, you know, kind of releasing it to the universe. It's a different feeling. Totally. Totally. And you can have practices with friends around gratitude for us. Like I'm, I'm on an email chain uh, for gratitude lists with a group of girlfriends. You can do it with your partner at night. I love I love talking to Ian about what we're grateful for just over dinner or yeah. in the bed at night. Just like what are three things, you know, um, or one thing yeah. or whatever it is. Or you can even call a friend, have a weekly call or or a daily call with a friend and just talk. What are you grateful for? It's so it's so so useful so I love that and I love that you guys did that together and you did mention the dark days um and I imagine there were just so many of them and I'm glad that you're that you're willing to talk about them what would you say to other women listening to this that are in in the darkness right now oh man I would say it's gonna be okay it's going to be okay. Um, it's, it's hard. I would say I know that most people don't understand what you're going through. And your friends probably don't understand what you're going through. Your family, and as much as people can support you, nobody knows what you're going through. And so I think, um, you know, finding an outlet that works for you, whether it be a support group, whether it be, you know, an online fertility community, whether it be music, whether it be running, whether it be, you know, exercise, something that you have an outlet and a way to just release, I think is so important um, because you need, you need to have a release. You need to have something and it can be all consuming being in the world of infertility and trying to problem solve and, and, you know, it's a daily mental and emotional stress. And I would say, you know, please try to find something, some way to, to have a release, some way to, to be able to, 
just whether it's speaking to somebody or, or releasing through physical activity, I think is, is really important. Right. <clears throat> you mentioned people, you mentioned people don't understand. Most people don't understand. Was that your experience? Did you get pushback from family or friends? Did people suggest yeah, like you know, you're doing too much? Why are you still trying? Oh God. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is, how can you, you know, nobody can really understand what you're going through. Um, it's, it's such a, and I'm sure you must find this with, with Lyme, I would imagine, because, you know, people don't understand it. It's not something that somebody, you know, if you haven't gone through it, then how do you, can't really explain it. It takes so much energy to explain all of the intricacies that, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't have the, the time or energy. <laughs> Oh, oh, I didn't have the <laughs> I didn't have the time or energy to explain all of the treatments, all of the issues, all of the you know doctor's visits to to my friends or my family. And so, if they didn't, you know, so so because I didn't have the time or energy to explain all of those things to them, they didn't really understand. And, and even if I could have explained it to them, I still don't think they would have under you know understood uh, understood. I had people say to me, oh, you know, I, I've had miscarriages, it'll, it'll all work out, or, you know, or, like, I had my best friend say to me, you know, oh, being a mother isn't, isn't everything, that's not, you know, that doesn't define me, that's not that important. It's like, all these things that are so hurtful, and they don't know, they're trying to be helpful, so right. they, they say things that are really upsetting to somebody who's going through this, and... They don't know what to say. Um, and so sometimes they don't say anything at all. And then you have people who just completely ignore all of the stuff that you're going through. And they don't want to bring it up, um, which I found a lot of, too, where, you know, my mother never asked about it because she just didn't, you know, she thought it was, it was probably hurting me too much, so she didn't want to talk about it. So she never asked me how I was or what was going on or anything, um, which is not a good thing to do either mm-hmm. right I think you know I think <coughs> for people who have friends or family who are going through infertility I would say the best thing that you can do is educate yourself a little bit on it read an article read a book read some you know information online so that you understand a little bit about even the terms and that sort of stuff um, so that you can ask questions, so you can, you know, if they, or if your friend or family member wants to talk, you know what they're talking about. Um, and that was the nicest thing that anyone had ever done. One, my uh, my husband's aunt, she bought me a book uh, about infertility. She said to me, she's like, I got one for myself too, so that I can understand what you're going through. And it was the nicest thing that anyone had done because the idea that she wanted to try to understand, I thought, great, I can talk to her now. I know I've got somebody who is trying to understand. And so you don't realize how important that is. That's Um, really beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful that she did that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's why it's good to find a community. If you can find some people who, who are going through IVF or there's so many communities online and in person in different cities uh, of, of couples or women, um, then you can go and you can talk to them and you can also exchange information because 
you you learn so much from each other. Well, what about the different treatment options? So that when you go into the doctor, you know what you're talking about, and you can you know you can ask them about trying different things. Maybe they hadn't thought of, or maybe one clinic specializes in. And I think it's important to share that information. Right, of course. Do you have some book suggestions or or different support groups online that you found to love? Anything for women or people going, couples going through this? Uh, so I write um, for the website Fertility Matters. So I would definitely recommend going to that website. Um, and I think I could give you a list. I could give you some suggestions if you want to include it. Yeah, I can but include I don't them have in the them off the top of my head. Okay, yeah. If you send me some, I can include them in the show notes. Um, okay. That would be great. But di- were there any books that you read during the time that you found helpful? Yes. I can't think of them either. Oh, that's totally okay. But I'll include them in the show notes if you do think of them. Okay. <laughs> yes, I do. I have a list. I do. I have a list. I have. I think I have like four or five books. So let me, I will do those two things, um, websites and books. Okay, yeah, no worries. And I know you're very busy with the new one. So no no worries <laughs> on that. Um, so where are you at today, Reva? How, how, how are you guys today? So today, you know, it's kind of um, unbelievable that we have a baby. Uh, I cannot believe we have this eight-week-old. Um, it's still we still are taking in the information, you know, Mm -hmm. we're still realizing that this is, this has happened. Um, and it's something that we had gotten to a point where we said, look, our life is amazing as it is. We are in a wonderful relationship. We are, you know, we're happy in our careers and we had really come to a point where, look, if this doesn't happen for us, our life is still complete. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really happy that we got to that point before it happened. And I think we needed to, I I believe in the, the powers of the universe. And I think we needed to get to that place. And looking back, I think if we had have had a baby when we first started trying that first time out of the gate, it wouldn't have been right. It wouldn't have been the right timing. I think about all the things that have happened between then and now professionally and, you know, it would have changed everything. So I think in the end, I believe it happened. It all happened for a reason. I believe the timing was perfect. And I think who knows whether this strengthened my marriage in a way that could never have been strengthened any other way. Um, and I think having a baby too now at this age, uh, a little bit later, has also we have such a great appreciation for it mm-hmm. and all of those you know all, the sleepless nights and the endless feeding and the you know poop explosions we can enjoy those things like it's really fun uh, to go through that and I think when we were younger it would have been more difficult uh, and more frustrating but now we have a greater appreciation for it right that's beautiful. And do you want another? Are you going to do this again? I don't think so. You know, it's it's a lot physically and it's a lot mo- emotionally. So I think that we're, we're happy. We're very happy that we've made it to here. But I don't think we... We will need, we'll ever go through it again. Yeah. It's so, it, sound, it just sounds like so 
brutal on the emotional, mental, physical body to go through it. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just think it's amazing. And I'm so, so happy that you have Birdie and to hear her little voice. Um, and she was a she was premature, as as we talked about. So she was three and a half pounds when she was born, six weeks early, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And you you said that you ex- you expected the pregnancy to come with some some hiccups. Yeah, I didn't. I never expected it to be easy. You know, after going through all that, I didn't expect it to be easy. Uh, but yeah, so in the end, I was ready for it. I was ready for whatever they were going to throw at me. And she wanted to get, she wanted to join us early. So she did. And now she's doing really well. She's thriving. She's, she's chubby. She's got big chubby cheeks and she's healthy as can be. Amazing. And is there anything you would have done differently? Like, is there anything you wish you did differently? Not that, not with like regret, but looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? Yes. Um, so when I first went to the IVF clinic, uh, I was not 35 yet. And the doctor said, you should do a round of IVF now uh, before you're 35. And I thought, you're crazy. Why would I resort to IVF? Like, there's nothing wrong with me. That's insane. Um, but looking back, I now with all the information I know and how much easier things are the younger you are, uh, I would have, I would have done, I would have done IVF earlier. The second thing I would recommend to any young women who are interested is I wish I had of frozen my eggs when I was in my twenties because in your twenties, your eggs are super young and healthy and, you know, ready to go. And I didn't know if I wanted to have kids. I, I wasn't planning to have kids and I was, you know, total free spirit. And I wish I had of just frozen some eggs because it would have bought me so much more time because I, you know, I started to feel pressure in my early thirties. Like, God, I got to get this going because you know, how much more time do I have? But if I had have had frozen eggs, you can use frozen eggs until your early forties and it would have bought me more time. I wouldn't have felt the pressure and it just, um, yeah, I think it just would have, bought, would have, I would, it would have alleviated any of the pressure. So, for any women who are thinking they want to have kids, that they want to do it later, I would highly recommend freezing your eggs so that you just have a stockpile. You just have it there. If you use them, you do. If you don't, you don't. But at least you have the option. Reva, you are one of many women to say that exact thing, and it really stresses me out. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm third I just turned 30 this year or actually in November and I am like I'm like oh my god that this is what everyone's saying freeze your eggs and I'm thinking maybe I really should do that because I do want kids yeah well it's just you don't want to you know you you want to live in your 30s I I mean I was having such a great time in my 30s really coming into my own and then started feeling this immediate pressure. And I just feel like if I had have had eggs frozen, then I would, you know, with frozen eggs, 
they're, people are using frozen eggs, you know, your late 30s, early 40s, and they're, the eggs don't age. The eggs are however old they are when you freeze them. And so it just, it just takes that off. And then you're like, I can do it whenever I want. I have this time and, and yeah, I think it would have definitely made me feel less stressed about it all. Right. That's great advice. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us while, while feeding little birdie and for, and for taking time to do this <laughs> with just an eight week old baby. Um, I'm super, super glad, and I hope it helps a lot of people. And also, are you coming back to L.A. at all? Yeah, okay. yes. We're actually, uh, my husband's out getting uh, the um, forms for Birdie's U.S. passport right now. And so she is got to get a little passport and go see the U.S. Embassy, and then we'll be heading back. Yay, that's so great. Yay. I'm glad you yeah, had her in I'm Canada, You want her to be that Canadian. Yeah. Canadian born <laughs> during this time, right? Um. Yeah. Well, it was it was nice, and you know, just to be around family and friends, and you know, when you're going through stuff, having support around you is really nice. And also, in the end, I took time off, uh, you know, time away from my life to do this. Really wanted to alleviate any stress. Stress can be such a huge factor in healing. And I really wanted to alleviate any stress in my life to really allow my body to do what it wanted to do and what it needed to do. So it was, it was, I think, very helpful to do that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Stress is so stress is such a huge factor in in all of it and any illness or disruption in your body. So that's great. Thank you so much, Reva. Where can people find you? You have a blog. Yes, I have a blog, uh, GoRubyGarnet.com, and you can find me on Twitter, Reva Marie. Uh, and yeah, I'd love, I mean, I, I write some, I have written a whole bunch of posts about my IVF experiences and about different treatments I've tried. And if people have any questions, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer any questions about treatment options or clinics, especially in LA, because I know a lot about the clinics. I also, I feel like I have a PhD in, in IVF because I've done it, you know, more than once. And so I have uh, a lot of information about that. So if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out um, and, uh, and yeah, reach out to me online. Amazing. Amazing. And I will link to all of that. I will link to your Twitter and I will link to your okay. blog, um, which I loved reading. Awesome. You're a great writer. Um, uh, Thank so- you. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Too Sick and Naked podcast, everybody. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Find me at Jackie on Instagram and follow me at TooSickAndNaked.com if you want some more wellness gems. You can also join the Healing Out Loud Facebook group. Find me on there and absolutely join if you are interested in healing out loud with some of your fellows. If you are interested in my coaching services, you can write to me via email and write to me with any other questions, concerns, comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you always. Have an amazing week, my beautiful friends, my Healing Out Loud tribe. Can't wait to give you more wellness gems and tips next week, and I hope you're able to implement what you learned this week. All right, see you next time.